ladies, and welcome to the Amazing Bible Book Club. I am Julie Callio, your host, and thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today we are looking at the Pauline Epistle of Galatians. What that means is that the Apostle Paul wrote a letter which was to be passed around to churches that are in the Gentile region called Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. Now, to place this book in the Bible's location, the New Testament started with the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These tell us the stories of Jesus's earthly life, and each taught with a specific purpose to a specific people group. Then the only history book in the New Testament is Acts, which was also written by Luke. The next section in the New Testament is called the Pauline Epistles, which is a section of 13 letters. The majority were written to churches, and then the last four were to specific people. Now, the question arises as to when it was written, and people disagree on this point. Some believe that this is Paul's first letter and would put the date at AD 47, after his first missionary journey and before the Council of Jerusalem, which happened around 48 to 50 AD. The second view is after the Council of Jerusalem between 50 and 55 AD. I hold to this view because it seems in Galatians 2, Paul is discussing the Jerusalem Council. Now, what's funny to me is that one of my study Bibles in the introduction, it gives the early date, but then in the heading above chapter 2, it reads the Council at Jerusalem. Another reason I hold to the later time is because of many of my Bible atlases. They have the region of Galatia toward the northern part of Turkey and the southern part as Pamphylia, Lycia, and Pisidia. Plus, Galatia is not mentioned in Acts in his first missionary journey, and it doesn't show up until his second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, and then on his third missionary journey in Acts chapter 18, verse 23. We also see in Galatians chapter 4, verse 13, that Paul had visited Galatia only one time before writing the letter. Now, for the most part, the time of the letter does not affect the content of the letter. But the problem arises when we try to compare Paul's account of his life with Luke's account found in Acts. In Acts chapter 9, Paul came for a short visit, his first. In Acts 11, verse 30 through 1225, Paul and Barnabas brought food relief to Jerusalem, number two visit. Acts 15 was the Jerusalem council, which would be his third visit. And then Acts 18 verse 22 reads, When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. If you remember, Jerusalem is on a mountain, so people would go up to Jerusalem and then go down from Jerusalem, even if they were heading north like Antioch was. Since Paul only mentioned going to Jerusalem twice, this is why people hold to the early date. 
But since Galatians chapter 2 sounds like the Jerusalem council, I reconcile it by reminding myself that Luke was not writing the biography of Paul, but on the expansion of the church. Others reconcile it by saying that maybe just Barnabas came alone on one of those visits. You will need to read and compare and see what you think. One other note about Acts is that Luke never mentioned Paul writing letters because it was not necessary for his purpose in writing. So we try and deduce by the information that's found in Acts as well as the letters to make an estimated guess of Paul's timeline. One thing that is clear is why the letter was written. Jews had come into the region and told the Gentile believers to not listen to Paul and that they needed to be circumcised as well as to attempt to keep the law of God. One thing to note is that before the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, Christianity was considered a sect of Judaism, Acts chapter 24 verse 5. But after Jerusalem fell and the temple was destroyed, Christianity was then considered a religion all its own. At this time, Christianity was around 15 to 20 years, and it was still a hot topic of how much Gentiles should observe the law in order to be Christian. Paul makes it clear in this letter, and the theme of this letter is, we are justified by faith alone. Galatians 5 verse 1 is the key verse which deals with the relationship between freedom and obligation. It was for freedom that Christ sets us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. This book is divided into three sections. Chapters 1 and 2 tell us the history of Paul and the gospel. Chapters 3 and 4 is theology, the study of God. And chapters 5 and 6 is ethics, how we are to live since we are Christians. This book is known as the Magna Carta of Christian Liberty. It can be summed up as Jesus only, not Jesus and. Chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 is the introduction and it is different than most of his other letters. Here Paul starts off with a negative about himself. He said he was not called or sent by men but from Jesus. He is defending the truth that he is an apostle sent and called by Jesus Christ. He also does not list any of the brothers that are with him which makes it difficult to date the letter. The most noted change is that Paul does not give a thanks for the church, nor does he call them saints. As a reminder, the typical greeting for Greeks was Karen, C-H-A-I-R-E-I-N, and Paul changed it to make it a Christian by saying charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, which means grace. And the Hebrew greeting was shalom, which meant peace. One other thing to note is that grace must come first before we can ever experience true peace. In verses 6 through 9, Paul reprimands them for turning so quickly from the grace of Christ to a different gospel. These Jews were distorting the gospel, and instead of a thanksgiving in his letter, Paul said in verses 8 and then verse 9 that these men should be accursed. The word is anathema 
which means devoted to destruction or doomed to eternal punishment, the wrath of God, total rejection by God, go to hell. As my professor said in Galatians class, it is not the gospel if there is no grace. Then in chapter 1, verse 10, going through chapter 2, Paul defends his calling and ministry. He explained that he was a Pharisee until he met Jesus. Then verses 15 to 16a read, But when God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I have a note in one of my Bibles that reads, God always has a purpose and it never ends with just you. God does what he does in us so that we can bless others. In chapter 2 verse 1, Paul said that he went to Jerusalem with Barnabas and they took Titus along also. Now Titus was the first pagan Christian that we know of, yet Titus is not mentioned in the book of Acts. Here Titus was not compelled to be circumcised because he knew the truth that we are saved by faith and not by works. Paul also talked of a time when they had gone back to Antioch and Peter came and the fellowship was good until other Jews who were sticklers about the law came and then Peter stopped fellowshipping with the non-Jews. Verse 14 said, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, or Peter, in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Dr. York taught my class that if the issue of church discipline was done in public, then the discipline should be done in public. But if in private, then in private. Peter's actions affected the whole body of believers there. So Paul addressed it publicly. It was so bad that even Barnabas was pulled Peter's way. We then have verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Then he said, if we can become righteous by keeping the law, then Christ died needlessly. Verse 21. We have just seen that the law cannot justify. And then in chapters 3 and 4, we learn that the law cannot allow the giving of the Spirit. It cannot work miracles. It brings a curse upon us because we can't measure up. It is secondary. It comes 430 years after the promise with Abraham. It was added to the promise because of their transgressions. It is temporary. It is fulfilled in Christ. It is a babysitter until we are in faith. Galatians 3 1a says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I can see my professor with his hands open, palms up, saying with an old voice, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? If Abraham believed God and it was counted as righteousness, chapter 3, verse 6, from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, and if God told him that all nations will be blessed in you, 
chapter 3, verse 8, from Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, then Paul points out that all people who believe are blessed like Abraham. Even in the Old Testament, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, it says, the righteous shall live by faith. If we live by the law, that is not faith. Then Paul said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That was why the Pharisees wanted Jesus to be crucified. They wanted him to be a curse in order to prove that he was not the son of God. But they did not understand that that was the plan. Jesus took our curse so that we might be set free. When we are in Christ, chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are the body of Christ and the family of God. In chapter 4, Paul gave a different example from the sons of Abraham. The promised one came through Sarah, and it was a miracle of God. She represented all who have faith in Christ. Abraham's firstborn son was born from Hagar, who represents people enslaved to sin. What is interesting in this passage is that it was the Jews who were descendants of Sarah biologically who were supposed to be the freed ones, but they are now the ones who are trying to enslave the Gentile Christians who were free. It is no longer about race. God's family is from every nation and tribe, every people and tongue. Anyone that has faith in Jesus is a part of the family of God. Then chapters 5 and 6 explain what we are to do with our freedom. In chapter 5 verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not subject again to a yoke of slavery. This is where the phrase Jesus alone, not Jesus and comes into play. If after becoming a Christian, they then get circumcised in order to be justified, then Christ meant nothing. Now, one thing I want to point out to you that Paul had Timothy circumcised when he joined Paul's ministry team in Acts chapter 16, verse 3, because he would be ministering to the Jews and he knew that if he was uncircumcised, it would be a stumbling block in their ministry. In other words, if Timothy were circumcised, it would help open doors of ministry opportunity for Timothy with the Jews, but he did not do it for his salvation. That is why Paul said a couple times in this section, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision mean anything but faith working through love, chapter 5, verse 6, and then chapter 6, verse 15, for neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Paul then said in chapter 5, verse 12, I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. The word used for circumcising is peritomen, meaning to cut around. And here Paul says that they should be kata tomen, meaning to cut down or to cut off. 
what is going on here is a big deal. Paul continued by saying that we are to use our freedom to love and serve one another. And then he quotes Jesus who said, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word or a phrase. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is found in Matthew chapter 7 verse 12, chapter 22 verse 40, and then John chapter 13 verse 34. Then he said, Since we have the Holy Spirit, we are to walk by the Spirit. He explained the struggle between our flesh and our spirit. And then in chapter 5, verse 18, he says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He then lists some deeds, plural, of the flesh, which are evident. And they are listed in verses 19 through 21. And then he lists the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In other words, when we are like that, there is no need for the law. If we are in Christ, we are crucified with him. And chapter 5 verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Chapter 6 continued that when we need to discipline, we should do it gently with the heart of restoration and gentleness. Otherwise, we too can fall into self-righteous judgment. Then he adds that we are to examine our own lives. Chapter 6, verse 5, for each one will bear his own load. Verses 7 through 10, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. At the end of the letter, Paul commented about how he wrote with large letters. Also back in chapter 4, verse 13, Paul reminded them that he first came to them because of bodily illness. And then in verse 15b, he said, For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. These clues help us to see that Paul had problems with his sight. Yet, we do not know if this was what Paul was referencing when he spoke of the thorn in his flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Paul then said, But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He ends with, From now on let no one cause trouble for me. For I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. In one of my Bibles, a dear man of God named Nolan must have taught a lesson at our church because I have a quote from him that I'd like to share with you. He said, When we get to heaven, what if God were to say, Where are your wounds? If we have none, then what if God says, Well, wasn't there something to fight for? Can we face God that way? Two other thoughts I'd like to share before we close. Jesus only, not Jesus and. Our faith is in Jesus only, not Jesus and baptism, not Jesus and good works. 
and not Jesus and coffee or Jesus and chocolate. Just Jesus, only Jesus. Last thought. Galatians chapter 5 verses 15 and 16, Paul said, But when God who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might. For the apostle Paul, it was to preach to the Gentiles. For the apostle Peter, it was to preach to the Jews. But what is it for you? If you are a believer in Christ, God set you apart even before you were born. He has called you through his precious grace and he was pleased, oh so pleased to reveal his son to you and then to reveal his son through you so that you might do what? Ask the Lord to reveal to you what he would have you do and let us all learn to walk in the spirit so that we will not fulfill the law of the flesh. If you have heard his voice today, please don't harden your heart. Instead, let us be women of God who hear and walk in his ways. Until next time, and thank you so much for listening.